1: in this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 8th to the 14th of May. I'm Ezzy Pearson, the magazine's features editor, and I'm glad to have Paul Money, our reviews editor, joining me on the show today.
0: Hello, Paul. Hello there, Ezie. Got another exciting week again.
1: Yes, so what do we have to look forward to in the night sky this week?
0: Well, um, with the, the problem of sounding a bit repetitive as we start these each week, um, we're in the evening sky with Venus. Yes, it still <laughs> dominates, and it will do for a while now. But uh, it is bright. I mean, minus 4.3. I mean, you know, it is incredibly bright. Mm-hmm. And the moon now is past full, So you will have a period whereby if you wait long enough, you might get to see. Try it. You get a dark sight or something and see if you can cast a shadow using Venus light and try photograph With modern smartphones, you should actually be able to photograph it, because some of them, they can take long exposures, and they use image stabilisation. I can take a handheld picture of the constellations now, mm. handheld. That'd be interesting uh, if anybody does that. And I'm sure they can send the pictures in, can't they, Izzy, Uh, to the magazine. That, that would be quite exciting to see something like that, especially with a, a smartphone, I have to say.
1: Yes, you can always send in pictures. You can find out details of how to do that over on our website, skyatnightmagazine.com. We also have a uh, article on there when Pete Lawrence uh, managed to photograph a shadow taken by Venus. Um, I'll put a link to that down in the show notes as well if
0: anybody fancies a look. So 8th and 9th of May. Well, We've got Venus, as we've already mentioned, but um, on the 8th, Mars forms a shallow triangle with Castor and Pollux. But it's also close to Kappa Geminorum now, and it's more of a curve, really, with those uh, three stars and the planet sort of thing. And I say, Mars, well, it's not the brightest, but, you know, it's on a par now with Castor and Pollux. Meanwhile, Venus now joined it in Gemini. Um, it's ironic, as Venus comes into Gemini a bit later on in the month, Mars will leave Gemini, but there you go. It's nothing that Venus said mm. or anything like that. But, Venus, on the ninth lies above the open cluster Messier 35. This has got an informal nickname as the shoe buckle cluster. Uh, I personally can't see it. I I always think I see a a shape of a shuttle. But this is a nice chance to see it. And photography, that would be a great picture to get with the actual brilliant Venus. And if you're into deep sky objects, there is actually another cluster right next to M35, NGT 2158. Fainter and smaller, but they make a nice pair, and I think get those in the frame of view with Venus as well will be quite something. Venus, of course, will be absolutely brilliant in the picture. So there we are, that's the 8th and ninth. Now, staying with the 8th to the 10th, we actually have... In the morning sky, yes, you have to get up for this. This is 4 o'clock in the morning. It's a real-time, honest, folks, sort of thing. Those who have to get up early in the morning will really know what I mean. But if you've got time, 4 o'clock in the morning, turn a telescope towards Saturn. Because in actual fact, Saturn is close to the star 58 Aquarii. Now... Saturn is actually quite bright, magnitude 0.9, so that's plus 0.9, so it's pretty you know, reasonably bright. The star is 6.3 magnitude, so pretty faint, so you can't confuse them. And not only that, if you're using a telescope, the star won't have rings around it. If the star's got rings around it, you need to have the telescope looked at.
1: Yes, that, that would be a definite sign you've got some kind of aberration going
0: on there if your stars have rings. <laughs> yeah, definitely a problem there, isn't there? So, but it, it is gorgeous to see it, and it moves slowly past the star. It's closest around about, sort of, actually technically the 7th and the 8th, sort of thing. But the 8th, I think, will make a nice particular view. Uh, and, of course, you've not just got the rings. If you look carefully, you might see some of the brighter moons. You've got Titan, the Apertus, mm. uh, some of the moons like that to have a look at as well. And they will change positions, so if you're able to have clear mornings, Say the eighth, ninth and tenth, you can see the moons of Saturn changing position as well. And again, we mentioned the motions, didn't we last week of the, of the, the sky and that it always seems static. When you look at the moons of Saturn, the moons of Jupiter, you can actually see them changing night after night. Mm. In fact, if you if you there are times when sometimes if they're close to each other, you've got two moons close to each other, then you can see the motion that night during that evening over the course of a few hours. I I, I don't know, I I actually get quite excited by that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's some of the moons of Jupiter. They just whip round. You know, it takes you know like a week or so. I think there's one that's three and a half days where it takes to go around or something like that, which is just it's very quick.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean Io and Europa. When they get close to each other, I mean, there the, are relative motions. Of course, if one's moving one way and one's moving the other, <laughs> sort of thing, because they're in different parts of the orbit. But just from our viewpoint, look as if they're in the same part of the sky. Uh, it would be, be quite dramatic. I've seen some great animations where people have imaged them, and I'm sure Pete must have imaged them as well. I, I've done it, but I've not created an image, you know, an, an animation from them, sort of thing, because uh, you know you need to take it over a period of a few hours, and you can guarantee a house or a tree will get in the way or or Clouds, as usual, as such.
1: And again, we do have guides on how to make an animation of... uh, Well, it's actually Jupiter, but it should work just as well for Saturn over on our website. Again,
0: I will put a link down below. Exactly. Now, we mentioned the uh, Eta Aquarians last week, Mm -hmm. and they were defeated by the Moon. Now... There's a really faint shower. Now I have to say it, I, I only bring it up because I thought to myself, well, these poor showers, these minor showers, they don't get much attention. You know, they, they we always go for the big, bright, brashy ones that have lots and lots of meters, but the eater lyrid. Now, yes, we have the April lyrids sort of thing, and they are, they can be quite good, but this is the eater lyrids. And it sort of lies between, I always think of the wings of Cygnus sort of thing, and sort of Vega as well. So it's bit, the radiant lies between the two, so you can easily find it. But obviously, when meteors, you don't look straight at the radiant sort of thing. You, you get very short meteor streaks there. You need to look around about sort of, I don't know, 60 to 90 degrees away from the radiant to get the best view. But... They have a peak of just three, but I thought it's worth mentioning because the thing is, although the moon's in the sky, we're in the morning sky. Now, if you start observing, the moon rises at about 1 a.m. So this is sort of May the 9th. So although this meteor shower is not as well known, if you're looking out sort of thing and you get something streak away from actual Lyra, then there's a chance, you never know, you might have caught what. even if you just get one, if you get that one out of the three even though we know generally you might be, theoretically, it would be even less than that sort of thing, because, you know, three is the perfect conditions if you're looking directly at the zenith as such. But, you know, it's worth it. And the other thing about, we we mentioned about the full moon. the When the full moon's up, it really does dominate. But once it gets to the stage it's a gibbous phase a few days later, it's very low. This time of year, it's very low. So it's actually in Sagittarius. So it doesn't create so much of a hassle. It doesn't ruin the sky as much. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. the key. You may as well have a look at it. And the other reason I mention it is that this particular Eta Lyrids are associated with the comet Iris Araki Alcock, 1983. And that was my first comet I observed as First oh, really? one I saw. And it was a bright one as well. We could see mm. it naked eye and it raced across the sky in about six days. And for most of that, it shock, it was clear. <laughs> but yes, it brings back memories. So it's one of those things that I, I really want to have a look at this particular shower. And on the off chance, then I might see one speck and it will be particles shed by that comet. So that'll be my link to that comet back then. <laughs> Bit of nostalgia for you. <laughs>
1: Yes for those of you who who don't know um meteor showers happen because we pass through basically uh, the, the trail of a comet so it leaves behind this this dust and debris that hits earth's atmosphere uh, going in incredible speeds you know tens of thousands of kilometers per, per hour um which causes the air around them to glow white hot and that's what we see as a streak of a meteor so yes um and occasionally a comet comes through uh the the solar system and we get a new meteor shower
0: um, or refreshes an old one. Yeah. And this is one of the new ones. Yeah. So yes. it does show, it does t- change, doesn't it? Because prior mm-hmm. to the uh, IRS Iraqi Olcott coming in, um, they, you know, we we didn't have this meteor shower. So, uh, yeah, so it's always nice to have something fresh, a new meteor shower on the go. And they can occur. I mean, we we never know, do we, when we're going to get that next bright comet that it crosses the Earth's orbit and we then encounter the swarm of particles. So, uh, you know, so fingers crossed, you know, we we might get some more in the near future. And of course, this probably also suggests some meteor showers will die off. There may be meteor showers thousands of years ago that were absolutely spectacular. But now, there's virtually nothing left of them. Yeah.
1: And so, it's always worth it if you are out um, stargazing anyway on the, uh, around the 9th. Um, just make sure you know where Lyra is in the sky. So, if you do see a meteor, you can track it back and work out whether it was a Lyrid or it was just a random meteor. Um, so, if you happen to catch something
0: whilst you're out and about. So, we're going to end this week Gosh, this is a quicker week for once, sort of thing. We're mm. going to end this week. Um, this is actually May the 12th to the 14th. Uh, the 13th and 14th in particular, sort of thing. The moon is actually passing Saturn. Now, the moon is at last quarter on the 12th. So if you like last quarter moons, there you are, but you do have to get up in the morning. This is, we're talking 4 a.m. again, as uh, Ezzy for the best view. Twilight is beginning though. The, the, the light nights are getting lighter, of course, but on the 13th and 14th, The moon is on the 13th, it's to the lower right of Saturn, and on the 14th, it's to the lower left, and, of course, lower to the horizon as well. So that finishes our week by getting us to look into the morning sky, but to catch Saturn as well. So they are... I would mention that Neptune technically is in the sky as well, but the twilight swamps it. I don't think you'll really see Neptune. So uh, we need to give that a few more weeks. Um, The problem with Neptune is that because it's faint we're also going to find that as the sky gets lighter, it, it sort of overcompensates and swamps out poor Neptune for a while sort of thing. It's why I don't get too excited. Although I know it's in the sky, I don't get too excited yet because I know the sky brightness overwhelms it, which I think is a shame. But we've got Saturn. We'll always have Saturn, won't we, Ezie? <laughs> we'll always have Saturn.
1: So to summarise, we begin the week on the 8th of the 9th of May when Venus is just coming into the constellation of Gemini as Mars is starting to move out of it. Uh, and Venus on the 9th will also be near to M35, the shoe buckle cluster. Then on the 8th to the 10th, Saturn will be in the morning sky. It's a good opportunity to take a look at Saturn, perhaps even try tracking some of its moons. Then on the 9th, we have the Eta lyrid meteor shower, a very minor shower. You might only expect to see one or so uh, meteors an hour. But if you're out and about anyway, take a look at that one. Then on the 12th to the 14th, we have the moon passing Saturn in the morning sky. So thank you very much, Paul, for taking the time to take us through all of those. My pleasure. And if you want to keep up to date with everything going on in the night sky, do be sure to subscribe to Star Diary. And we will hopefully see you all here next week. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our Sky Guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye.
0: Thank you for listening to
1: this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes, or Spotify.